Matthew chapter 8 this morning, we pick up at verse 23, we consider through verse 27. Matthew 8, 23 to 27. And when Jesus was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And the disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye so fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What? manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him. Father, this morning we pause before the account that is familiar, and yet the ramifications of such a reminder today, even to the most mature of saint, is a welcome thing. Many of us Confronted in the day yesterday and again this morning, the turmoil that is in our world, a turmoil that certainly impacts thy ancient people, Israel, and the wars among nations with hatred that is unexplained except on the basis of sinful men and the influence of evil throughout the world. Oh God, man is so far from thee. And except it be that you have been faithful to disclose of yourself in the word of God and in the testimony of Jesus Christ, we would be destroyed in our ignorance and foolishness. Thank you for the word of God, a sure word upon which we can find rest for our souls as we understand the gospel and embrace the truth of Christ. And help us today as we're reminded of the authority and the power of the Lord Jesus as demonstrated on earth. Help us to understand afresh and anew that our Lord came not just to bring a cessation of storm but rather to save mankind from sin and death by the blood of the cross. Help us then to make those connections as we ought, and by thy spirit may our souls be strengthened from on high. For we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. Many of you know that a seismograph is an instrument that is used to measure the force and duration of earthquakes. Seismograph, the word, comes from the Greek word seismos, which is found in verse 24 
and translated tempest in relationship to the Sea of Galilee. The word itself speaks of violent shaking and is found here accompanied by the word megas. You know what that means. Great. And it portrays a great and violent storm of record that is familiar to many of us since the days of our childhood. Now, I want to mention this morning, for the benefit of those that have been studying together on Sunday evening the book of Esther, that the word arose in verse 24 concerning this great storm of record comes from that featured Greek word of being that parallels the Hebrew word of Esther 1.1, translated, now it came to pass. Therefore, the students of the book of Esther know who exactly is responsible for this storm. It didn't just happen. It happened. And there is one and only one in charge of all such happenings. And those of you that have been studying the book of Esther know a little something about that. But there is no doubt that the very best way to build a sense of godly perspective for this familiar storyline is to consider the theological truth of Psalm 107. So would you please turn with me back in your scripture to Psalm 107 and note in verses 1 to 3 the introduction to the psalm, O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy and hath gathered them, the redeemed, out of the lands, plural, from the east, and from the west, and from the north, and from the south. Psalm 107 is a praise song uh, rehearsing the deliverance of Yahweh in various situations in relationship to his people. The unknown author of the psalm calls for thanksgiving for the Lord in relationship to his great works of deliverance. Uh, there are indeed uh, five vignettes that follow the introduction of Psalm 107, 1 to 3 in this general call to thanksgiving and praise, uh, five illustrations of such deliverances. And you get a sense of that in the little uh, repeated phrase in the psalm that divides the psalm. Look at verse 8. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Look at verse 15. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Look at verse 21. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Look at verse 31. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness 
and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Listen, when the, when the Bible repeats itself, it's meaningful. And in this case, that phrase that is repetitious inter- indicates uh, these uh, vignettes, these occasions where God, Yahweh, uh, delivers, as it were, his people. Now, I'm interested this morning, I'm seeking to help you to be interested this morning in one of those vignettes, one of those storylines that is depicted here in the Old Testament and uh, as it relates to a poetical expression of the way that God works. And uh, I would call your attention uh, beginning at verse 23. And I'll be reading down through verse uh, 32. They that go down to the sea in ships that do business in great waters. Please note business. These travelers at sea are not out for a pontoon boat ride. They're out uh, not to just catch a little sun. They are on the sea for the sake of business. Verse 24. These, those doing business at the sea, see the works of the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh, and his wonders in the deep. For he, Yahweh, commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind which lifteth up the waves thereof. God raises up the storm. They mount up to the heaven. They go down to the depths. Their soul, those doing business and ships at sea, their soul is melted because of trouble. Roller coaster kind of trouble. The wave goes up, the wave goes down. The wave goes up, the wave goes down. And if you've ever been seasick, then you know exactly how to understand Psalm 107 and verse 26. Verse 27 goes on to say, They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wits' end. When you're on big water and that water is trouble, so is thy soul. I don't care how experienced you are. I don't care how many times you've been out there before. I guarantee you that when you are on big water and that water is troubled, so is your soul. And if you've ever been there, then you can relate to being at your wits. End. Verse 28. Then they cry unto the Lord. In their trouble. And he bringeth them out of their distresses. He, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still, as in peace be still. Then are they glad because they be quiet. What's quiet? The waves are quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. That is one of five vignettes 
of description of how God delivers his people. What would be the responsive point? Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Deeply pressed into the mind of the Jewish worshiper was the understanding that God controls nature and is in fact responsive to the cries of his people when nature rages against them. This psalm is believed to be the expression of a Jewish exilee after the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. The psalm written then at least 500 years before the events of record under study, Matthew chapter 8. Yet the psalm 107 describes with amazing accuracy the event of record, Matthew chapter 8, and specifies our response to it. And we'll come back to that at the end of this morning. Out of potential thousands of miracles performed by the Lord Jesus, Matthew, back to Matthew chapter 8, selects just a few to demonstrate three things. Miracles selected from the earthly life of Christ to demonstrate three things. Number one, the correct identity of Jesus as God. That's one of the things Matthew's up to in the selection of these miracles. Number two, Matthew selects these vignettes of miracles in order that the progressive acknowledgement of his followers leading up to the understanding that he was God uh, would, uh, uh, would be seen by us. Uh, there were no uh, light switches flipped. When Peter, James, and John met the Lord Jesus, they caused them to immediately understand in the full who he was or what he had come to do. Theirs was a progressive acknowledgement of who he was and what he came to do. And in fact, as we've often instructed you, the apostles' faith in Christ was by no means complete until after the ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the church. That's when we would associate the sense of Peter, James, and John being saved as you and I who are saved today commonly take for granted. And then the third thing is that you have in these miraculous vignettes uh, uh, the ongoing undercurrent of rejection that grows out of the Lord's initial popularity among the masses as part of the plan to save people from their sins. And uh, you and I will see as we continue to work in the Gospel of Matthew uh, that growing sense of rejection and opposition that comes to the Lord. Uh, that's why when we describe the, the Lord's approximately three years of, uh, of uh, gospel ministry, we talk about the one year of popularity, followed by the second year of growing opposition, and the third year of outright rejection. But this morning, we begin at the end of the account, verse 27, where the men marvel 
They admire what has just happened in the calming of the sea by the Lord Jesus. And they say among themselves, what manner of man is this? That even the winds and the sea obey him. Their question of emotional inquiry is, who can this really be? And upon that good question of theirs hangs our eternal destiny. The sequence of the familiar story of wind and waves will lead us to the highest thoughts concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And indeed, it is my prayer this morning that something of the glory of Jesus would be stamped upon my heart and your heart this morning as a result of the study of this text. We're going to now just follow the simple sequence in order that we might build, once again, the logic and the rationale of the familiar here to its glorious and theological conclusion, as was part of the point in the Day of Record. Following the simple sequence, we start with the fact that we become acutely aware in this account of the schedule of Jesus. Jesus initiated the action to depart the gathered multitude. Previously, we've noted that that is a counterintuitive decision. Most people would stay when the large multitude had gathered, but Jesus went away when the large multitude gathered, having accomplished already with that multitude that which he desired. He gets into a boat, and his followers get into that boat or other boats along with him. Jesus knows that it's time to go. His schedule is driven by a logic contrary to popular opinion. He marches to the beat of a different drummer. Those of us that have come to know and love him understand that he has a heaven-sent mission to accomplish, and that mission, that mission rather, is not uh, uh, f- uh, to find its fulfillment in just bringing a calm to angry waves and peace uh, to violent winds. He can do that. He did do that. But that is not his mission. And therefore, we understand that uh, uh, that. Uh, Uh, His mission uh, is directly related uh, to the reality of mankind's redemption. And so while we focus upon uh, the record of the storyline before us and we fascinate over the story, it's important that we remember we're studying not just these individual verses, we're studying the book of Matthew, we're studying the Bible. And thereby the whole of the biblical presentation of the Lord Jesus comes to bear. Early on in the Lord's earthly life and ministry, even in the year of his bar mitzvah, uh, Jesus said that he must be about his father's business. 
And we would be amiss to view this boat ride across the Sea of Galilee as anything but a business trip. The reason I focused upon the word business in Psalm 107 was because, indeed, that I want you to see this as being a business trip. The headquarters in heaven uh, sets the schedule for Jesus on earth, and the Lord Jesus has received uh, on his schedule uh, the appointment. It's time to go across the lake to the other side, and so he gets in the boat in order to go across the lake to the other side. Uh, The schedule of Jesus is dictated by heavenly purpose. And you won't get too much of an argument around here concerning that. But of course, we would also have to recognize that the schedule of the follower of Jesus is likewise dictated to by God's schedule. And his continual work relative to redemption. And so therefore, we begin to see a little different perspective concerning the storm and its calm. Any kid in a Sunday school class can appreciate the calming of the wind and the wave. But it takes a teenager or an adult to begin to appreciate the God that made the storm in the first place. And I ask you this morning, are you that kind of an adult? Are you that kind of a believer? Or are you still stuck in elementary school in the learning of Christ? And everything in your life is, oh, God, take the troubles all away. Take the sickness all away. Take everything all away. Give me nothing. 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 Oh, give me everything. Give me everything. But give me nothing. Give me nothing. Give me Which is it? Do you want everything or do you want nothing? Childish. Foolish. Prayers. Simply asking God to calm every wave. To bring every wind to zero, as if somehow he was surprised that they were blowing at 30. Oh, listen, listen. Jesus is on the schedule of heaven. And those that got into the boat with Jesus, they're on the schedule of heaven. Are you in the boat with Jesus? then you're on the schedule. Ordained by God. Secondly, we become acutely aware (laughs) of the sleep of Jesus. Jesus sleeps for three reasons. You ready? Number one, he's tired. Number two, he's trusting God the Father. Number three, He sleeps because he's still teaching. Jesus uh, sleeps because he's tired. He sleeps because he's trusting. He sleeps because he's 
teaching. Tired? Yes. Trusting? Yes. And I would argue, but above all, still teaching. In his sleep, he's teaching. Tired because of the expenditure of human energy. Trusting because he, like no other, knows God the Father's love and care. But still teaching for those following must come to fully acknowledge his person and earthly purpose. It's amazing to think about the way in which teaching and preaching tools have changed over the years. I've often thought that if I had been born in the 1500s or the 1600s before they had uh, a microphone to assist, that I might be yet well equipped. But uh, the reality is, uh, when I think about teaching, I think these days about a whiteboard. We used to think about a chalkboard. And I guess before that, mud, I don't know. Uh, but uh, uh, we, we think about teaching, we think about a whiteboard, we think about a chalkboard. Uh, today we think about PowerPoint, or we think about something else uh, by way of printing notes on a piece of paper. Uh, uh, these are all tools for teaching. Uh, my tools for teaching have greatly changed over the years, to be sure, and uh, and uh, as have yours, if you've been engaged in that kind of a thing. But the question that I would ask is this, what kind of teaching tools are available to God, the teacher? Has God ever been limited to a whiteboard? Is God ever limited to a PowerPoint? Is God ever limited to a, a, an overhead transparency uh, projector? Has God ever been limited to a fax machine? Has God ever been, been limited to the Internet? Well, I know. Everybody here knows that God is unlimited. And so do you realize that wind and waves and birds and bees and bugs are readily available to God for teaching. The disciples had heard and seen a lot, and they were struggling to process it all. That is why Jesus speaks to them about their puny faith, or their trusting a little, before before, before he rebukes the wind and the waves. He addressed the problems evident in the order of their priority. The storm wasn't half as serious as the matter of deepening the faith of the disciples in the boat following him. That is the big deal here. The big deal has got nothing to do with the wind and the waves. The big deal has to do with the disciples trusting too little. And the Lord, as the grand teacher of all teachers, 
bringing to bear some of his glorious tools in order to teach them to trust him more so that their souls, like the soul of the psalmist 500 plus years prior, would say, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. That there would be an evoking of response in the soul from God's people concerning the great things that he has done. Let it not be missed on you this morning that the Lord addressed the tragedy of their faith before he spoke to the wave and the wind in that moment of record. Thirdly, we become acutely aware of salvation or the deliverance of Jesus. Psalm 107 said that when the ancient Jewish people cry out to Yahweh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Psalm 107 says that when they cry out to Yahweh in their trouble, that he, Yahweh, brings them out of their distresses. That he, Yahweh, calms the storm. And in this little familiar miracle of record, the disciples cried to Jesus, and he brought them out of their distresses. He calmed that storm. And this is where, when such things are read in my Bible, I can't help but think of of elemental algebra. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. And if God delivers and God responds to the prayers of his people, and if God calms the storm, and Jesus was prayed to, and Jesus brought them out of their distresses, and Jesus calmed the storm, then Jesus must be God. If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Matthew's point to us as readers is that this is Jesus revealed in New Testament scripture as the Yahweh revealed in the Old Testament scripture. There should be a sense of, there he is. There he is. Did the fearful disciples call upon Jesus knowing all that? No. They called on him because they had already done everything they knew to do. They called on him because they had come to the place of their extremity. Their extremity led them to opportunity. Their considerable experience dictated to their minds that the great storm of seismic proportions was taking them down. Have you ever noticed that the best prayers are little prayers? People that pray on and on and on and on with big words seldom say much. And most of the time, other than admiring their words, it doesn't move as much. But so often, the best prayers are 
these little tiny things. Here's a prayer for you. Lord, save us, we perish. That's it. Who cannot understand those words? Simple, straightforward, brief beyond brief, and yet so wonderfully true in that moment of time for the disciples in that boat. Their considerable experience dictated to their minds that the great storm of seismic proportions was taking them down. And so they cried out to the only one in the boat not bailing. They cried out to the only one in the boat not manning an oar. They called out to the only one in the boat, not working the sail. Everybody's bailing. Everybody's grabbing the oar. Everybody's trying to work the sail, except one. And what is he doing? He's sleeping. They called out to Jesus with little faith that he could help. But what else was there to do? They looked to Jesus, having come to the end of themselves. He is the only one in my boat, ever sleeping. God does not bail. God does not pull on an oar. God does not set a sail. God answers the prayers of his people. And what shall we have for lack of our prayer? Answer. Wind, wave, storms. The fact that Jesus is the master teacher. (laughs) It's phenomenally evident in and throughout this entire account. I preach this account this morning with a settled conviction that God the Son himself orchestrated this entire event as a classroom demonstration causing his followers to progress in the assigned subject. The fact that Jesus is the master teacher is evident by the fact that the question remaining on the minds of the students after the class was, who can this be? And what would be the point of asking that question? Only to answer it aright in time. Can you answer that question aright now? They asked the question only to be able to answer it right in time. Can you answer the question correctly now? 
The fact that Jesus is the master teacher is evident by the question asked because he who saved them from the storms can save them from their sins. The point is saved from sin, not saved from storms. If you as a believer have the idea that God has promised you, sky's always blue. You've missed it. You've missed it big time. The point is not that God can calm a storm, although he can. The point is that God can save us from our sins and bring calm and peace and joy to our souls, even in the midst of songs, even in the midst of storms, I should say. That brings us to the fourth thing this morning. We become acutely aware herein of the sovereignty of Jesus, his rule, his command, his control. Reading this account today for us is not the same as for those that lived through it. But the point is the same, that we would ask ourselves, who is this? Who is this that, uh, that, that, that speaks to wind and waves? And wind and waves listen to him. You too and I too have entered into the Lord's classroom. He has set you up to come to an understanding of God. You're in the right class. You're in class right now. Open your eyes to see the great instruction that is before you. Open your heart to the expression of faith that you are being led to in Jesus Christ. The progressive acknowledgement of Jesus, Yahweh, as the one and same is the great discovery unto genuine faith in him. No one but God is sovereign. Jesus is God. That's the lesson being taught on the open sea that night. That's the truth upon which we commend everyone to place their faith in Jesus Christ. It's interesting because in Matthew's rendering of the account here, uh, you have in the original language a wordplay in verse 24 uh, that jumps off the page at you in the original. Uh, the ship was covered, English word covered with waves, calupto, calupto, covered with waves, but Jesus was kathuo, asleep. And so in the, in the grammar of the original, kathlupto uh, kath uh, stands in complement poetically to the word kathuo, lupto uo. And in that play on words, you have a point of tension placed upon the waves that are covering and Jesus who is sleeping. And it is the height of grammatical irony. The professional surfer looks to be swallowed up by the curl of a monster wave only to come riding out of it with great momentum. The professional surfer's skill 
is on display as he successfully rides the powerful wave in the pipe and out of the pipe in a much greater way the disciples of old looked to be swallowed up by the monstrous waves so that in response to their cry God the Son could put on display his mighty authority, ability, and skill. They prayed, Lord, save us, we perish. He rebuked their puny faith and then spoke to the wind and the waves. And as a matter of reported fact, those violent winds and waves listened to Jesus. Is the point here that the wind and the waves listened? No. The point here is that peace be still always works with winds and waves when God is the speaker. He did not come from heaven to earth to save us from drowning. He came to save us from our sins and the penalty of forever death and the gospel stories of which we are so familiar and well taught have a point bigger, greater in adulthood for the human heart to latch upon and rest. The Lord who calmed the storm died for your sin, rose from among the dead after three days, and has ascended to the right hand of God the Father, awaiting the next scheduled moment of his return in power and great glory. On that basis, those that know the Lord ought to listen to that psalm again. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Oh, God has brought so many deliverances to us that there are many things of which we can report, but the greatest of them all is God's specific and saving work from our own sins and forever death. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I mean capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. I mean Yahweh. And of course, you know, I mean Jesus. Father, we thank you. We praise you for a clear and sure word on this Lord's Day morning concerning the object and anchor of our faith. The Lord Jesus has proven to be a great friend to we sinners. And we express to you our hallelujah and our thanksgiving for keeping us and loving us and saving us. 
Help us then to end this hour with thy praise and heart in mind. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 2-2.